the Word became flesh. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. <coughs> Good morning, everybody. Is the mic working? Okay, all right. Did you guys have a good Christmas? Yeah? Uh, mine was really restful. I was just telling somebody in the hallway, I'm so grateful that I had a restful, uh, uneventful Christmas um, as far as just, you know, if you know anything about my household, uh, we got four kids, and, you know, anytime we can get through um, the holiday seasons without a, a trip to the emergency room or somebody getting sick or, you know, that's a good Christmas. Um, we do have a, a daughter who has a concussion, but ha that happened before Christmas, so that doesn't count. Um, but uh, anyway, it was a very restful and good Christmas. And, um, yeah, sad to see it go, but that means we can look forward to 2019 and um, all the wonderful things that are going to happen. Um, as the year uh, kind of comes to a close, um, you know, people all around the world are going to be looking back at the realities of 2018, and they're going to take stock of what happened, both the good and the bad, right? And then looking forward, they're going to make plans, uh, they're going to make goals, they're going to have dreams um, to shape what they hope will be a better reality, right? in 2019 than maybe what they experienced in 2018. So, you know, whether this is a reality within your job situation or your relationship situation or lack thereof um, or your health situation, we all make resolutions to change something about our current reality, right? Our reality is kind of the sum of our circumstances around us. But these are things that we perceive about our reality, right? Things that we want to change about our reality, um, at least what we think is our reality, what we perceive is a rea reality. Perception can be a tricky thing, right? Um, I'm sure 
you can all think of um, an instance where you had a perception of something and then later on you've come to find out, oh, my perception of whatever, you know, this person or this situation or whatever was completely inaccurate, right? And you have a surprise. So um, we see from this that there's a perceived reality, right? And then there's a actual reality. And sometimes our perceived reality is accurate, sometimes it's not, right? I think we all have life experiences like that. So today, um, we're going to look at what God says about reality, right? We have perceived reality, we have actual reality. What does God say about reality? And as we delve into what God says about reality, I think what that's going to do for us is that's going to help us understand, okay, if this is what God says is reality, we can then build our plans for 2019 and beyond based on this reality. We don't want to base it on something that's not real, right? We don't, who wants to base your life on a perception of reality that later on you find out, oh, I was wrong about that. So everything I built based on that perceived reality, uh, down the drain. Nobody wants that, right? So it's wise and good for us to um, look into what God says about reality. It's really important. It's necessary. So I want to start with this illustration. Do we? <laughs> yeah. All right. What happened? Is it? There we go. Okay. Now, anyone, anyone know what this is? <laughs> yes, it's a screen capture of a video game called Fortnite. Um, do you play or do you know anyone who plays this game? Maybe your kids play this game. Maybe you play this game. Um, yeah, we got some people. Yeah, right? It's a, apparently a really fun game. I mean, I just looking at some of the, the screenshots, it, it looks like a pretty fun game. Um, how about this one? Anyone recognize that? Minecraft. Minecraft. Okay, we got a gamer here, right? We got a couple gamers here. That's from Minecraft. Minecraft, if you don't know, it's a game that where you like build stuff. It's it's um, and and more. Um, actually, it's kind of I, I like to think of it as a game uh, uh, like Legos on steroids. That's kind of what it is. It's a good way to kind of think about it. Um, what you're looking at is. <laughs> This is actually not something that the uh, game developers made. It's actually something that one of the players made out of like these you know, digital blocks. Like a player actually went in, or maybe a team of players, who knows, and built this amazing futuristic looking city. That's pretty crazy, right? Um, a lot of time on their hands, but a lot of creativity and forethought and planning. It's pretty cool. Um, both Fortnite and Minecraft are these video games where you enter into this fictional reality, right? This fictional video game reality, and you enter with a character who represents you, and in that world, you do a various you know, number of things, right? Now, maybe this sounds weird to you, I don't know, or maybe um, this is like right up your alley, um, but in case you weren't aware, these two video games are played not just by like, you know, engineering type nerds or whatever, you know, stereotype you might have in your mind. 
They're not played by just engineering types. They're played by millions of people of all backgrounds and interests all around the world. Estimates are that uh, just between these two games alone, all right, get ready for this, there are combined almost 200 million users. Okay, so to help us kind of understand that number, if the players of these video games were to be gathered into a new country, you know, just for fun, let's call it Fort Minia, okay? <laughs> this new country would have a population that is higher than actual real countries. Uh, more than Italy, more than France, more than Canada, more than South Korea, almost any other country in the world, actually. Did you know that Fort Minia would be ranked Guess, can you anybody guess? The seventh most populated country in the world. There's only six other countries in the world that would have you know, more people than Fort Minia. So the point is the role of these video games in our world has grown from just kind of a fringe phenomenon to something that you know, really it shouldn't be ignored. It's, it's a big thing for a lot of people a large percentage of, and th these are just two games. If you were to add up, I was looking at the stats, if you were to add up all the games, it'd be like in the billions. It really would. We're talking about like one out of every five people in the world. <laughs> That's huge, right? So what's the attraction? Well, if you ask any gamer, they'll tell you they think a game is fun when it's challenging, um, and because you can play with friends, right? And these games offer like a creative outlet. So we see these elements in these two very uh, popular video games. These, these video games are widespread on a global scale because I believe they appeal to a very deep human longing. And that is these games give people a community that's both interactive, you know, where you can talk with people and uh, do things with people, and it's also immersively challenging. There's like something innately challenging, and you, you gotta do something, you gotta build something, you gotta make a goal and, and achieve it, and, and, it's, and it's so real, it's immersive. In both of these games, you enter this virtual world where you can meet other players from anywhere in the world, you can create things, you can destroy things. Um, we had one, there's one YouTube video of a guy where he said, I just set up an open Minecraft area and apparently you can like set gates and you know, locks and so keep, keep people out. But he's just for, as an experiment, he said, I'm just gonna let anybody come in and do whatever they want. And that's a really, it's a really interesting social experiment, right? What would happen? And you know what would happen? People would come and build stuff and then you know what else would happen? People would come in and destroy it and then people would come in and rebuild the stuff, and then people would come in and destroy it, right? Um, you can explore things, you can team together with your friends, um, friends of friends, uh, team together with total strangers. In this team, you can accomplish goals, your team can go along, um, and as you go along in this team, you, you know, maybe make new friendships, or depending on how poor, you know, how, how your team does, uh, maybe you, you make some new enemies. Um, you can go around and gather resources, gain prizes, upgrades. Your character beca can become more powerful, uh, more rich, more attractive, um, even, you know, have conflict with other people. Sounds a bit like the real world, doesn't it? Right? <laughs> 
that sounds like what we do every day. And so these video games, you know, it got me thinking. What they do is they offer us an alternate reality from which we can blow off all the steam from, uh, that accumulates from having to like, deal with the frustration of this reality. Right? That's, that's kind of the big draw, right? You have all this frustration from this reality, and then you got to blow the steam off somewhere, and then you go into this fictional reality where you can do like, what you want to do, do the, and accomplish the goals that you want to accomplish. Right? It's very interesting. Companies, these video game companies, multi-million dollar companies, create these artificial worlds where people can spend, in the artificial world, they can spend real money, real time, real emotions. And so, as I was thinking about this, people are exerting more of their like creative and emotional and joyful energy, their best parts, right, into these fictional realities, more into these fictional realities than into this current reality. And I say this as one who understands all this because I did this myself with my own choice of video games, not Fortnite or Minecraft, that was ahead of my time, but other games. And so I'm not saying that video games are sinful, so if you're a gamer, don't worry, that's not what I'm saying. But like anything else, a video game has a potential to become a sinful idol, right? An idol in our life that we become devoted to. Um, so we should always be aware, uh, and if you're wondering whether it's an idol or not, you know, talk to God about it, and then talk with someone who's a wise, godly person who loves you and uh, is willing to answer, you know, maybe your questions honestly. All right, so getting back, how do these hugely popular, influential video games, these realities um, that we get so invested in, how are they created? They're created with computer code. It's just somebody, you know, a team of people sitting at their desks and making a whole bunch of code, whatever code you want to use, and then boom, you get like this artificial kind of digital reality, right? At the end of the day, that's what it is. Teams of coders uh, making these realities where millions of people enter and spend the best portion of lives. So computer code, if you think about it, is really powerful. It's really powerful. And even if you don't play games, you know all those apps on your phones, right? <laughs> All those apps, do you realize that those apps have literally become a daily part of your reality, right? Those apps have become a part of your daily reality. And that was all made by computer code. How about this world, this reality? Who made this world and this reality, number one? And number two, how was this world how was its reality made? Those are two really good questions. And so our passage today gives us the answer to both of those big questions. All right, but first, before we get into this, I, I want to warn you, what you're about to go into, it, it is one of the more complex and uh, sophisticated chapters of the Bible. So, so I really want to ask you to focus with me, try to stick together, because the content of what John is saying is hugely important, and it's totally, even though it's hugely important, it's totally relevant to your daily life. Okay, so in fact, it is life, as you're going to see. So I'm going to do my best to walk you through this together, 
but I'm also going to need your help to really focus in, uh, put your student head on, and, and really like try to follow what John here is saying in John chapter 1. All right? You guys ready? So uh, let's jump from this reality into this reality. Let's read that together. In the beginning was a word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So question number one, who made this reality? Well, it says God, um, or the personal name of God is Yahweh. The God of the Bible is Yahweh. I'm going to use those interchangeably because that's how the Bible uh, does it. Question number two, how was this reality made? It was made through the word, as verse three tells us. Now, what does that mean? Like, I can understand, you know, God made the world, but what does it mean that all things were made through the word? What does that mean? Well, in verse one, the word, okay, you see that, right? One, two, three. It appears three times, the word. If you look at the original Greek word there, this is really cool. The original Greek word there in verse 1 for the word is logos. You want to say that? Logos. Now, logos is the word that gives us our English word for logic. Okay? So in the Bible, you see the word logos. We get the English word logic. Logic is the basis for guess what? Computer code. You see that? Logic is the very basis of what makes computer code work. So, it's interesting, logos, right, here in verse 1, verse 2, verse 3, logos is God's divine logic. God's logic, God's wisdom. That's what the logos is, okay? It's kind of like a super code, if you will. We got Python and we got Java or whatever, right? And then you got Logos of God. It's a super code. Um, and verse 3 says, it's through this, it's through this that all things were made. Interesting. So, Everything that was made was made through the Logos. And if you want to kind of use the analogy, it's like a code. God used some kind of divine code, divine logic, to make everything that was made. We're living in his reality. <laughs> so coders use their thing to make their video games. God uses his code, his super code, the logos, to create all of reality. And God's code, of, of course, capable of creating much more complex structures, right? Like a redwood tree. God's code, his super code, his logos, can also be used to create things like this an animal with feathers that flies around. 
He creates functioning solar systems, not just a rendering of, like in Minecraft, but with gravitational pull and comets and entropy and enthalpy, right? All this, and there we are right there. <laughs> you are here. And God uses the same logos, super code, divine code, his, his wisdom, to create living, breathing, reproducing human beings like us. It's interesting that we human beings are created in such a way that we can also create things like a loving community or a video game. <laughs> Just like God created the heavens and the earth. I believe that this God supercoding metaphor that I'm presenting to you today, actually, it's a very powerful idea that you can use to help explain creationism to people who uh, don't believe it. There are a lot of people who think that creationism is just like believing in like fairy dust magic. It's just boom, you know, like what? It's just magic. But what I want to say is understanding John 1, it's not magic. Creationism is not magic. It's actually very powerful logic. The logos of God. Ooh. Now as... Philosophical as this chapter is, um, I hope you're beginning to see why it's so important for us to understand John 1, right? It's like the foundation of everything. So God, Yahweh, he is the logos, the logic, the original code, if you will, by which all things in this universe was created or coded. In both the book of Genesis and the book of John, uh, Yahweh created things merely by speaking his word. God spoke the words, let there be light. And there was light, right? I guess we can go back to that, right? In short, the word of God, the word, the spoken word, the word of God, the logos of God, as John 1 says, is the very building block of reality. It is reality. God's logos is reality. Now, the Bible is not saying that God is, you know, in the trees or in the stars. God is not in the planets. No, the Bible is very clear that God made those things, but he is not contained by those things, okay? He, is, he made those things, but he's not contained by those things, which um, some other, you know, religions might uh, believe. But that's not what the Bible says. Rather, God is the creator and he stands apart, and he stands sovereign over creation. All right. So just a little important side note, but very important. Now, one other thing we need to understand about the Logos, the Word of God, um, at least for today. There's so much more, but just for today, before we move on to the implications and applications, we're going to look at verse 2, and then we're going to look at verse 14 and 17. So, verse 2. Oh, sorry. Back here. So, verse 2, it describes a word, uh, the logos. Notice what pronoun is being used there. It's not it. What's the pronoun? He. The logos is not an it. The logos is a he, it's a person. And then we go down to verse 14. 
Let's read that together. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Ooh. The Logos became what? Flesh. So the wisdom, the, the, the divine logic, the, the mind of God, right, became flesh. The second person of God became flesh. And not only did it become flesh, right, but then it dwelt among us. This is what we just celebrated with Christmas, December 25th. Im anu el, the Hebrew word for God with us. The logos by which everything that was made was made became flesh and then dwelt among us. Man, oh, to be able to have like lived during that time and to actually reach out and touch Jesus. You're touching the Logos. Crazy. And yet, he didn't shy away from us. He didn't say, I'm too good for you. No, he came down and dwelt among us in our mess. Whoa. Verse 17, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. If the Logos is Jesus, the Son of God, like we see here, and Jesus, therefore, is the, the fabric of reality. He is reality. And then the Bible equates Jesus as saying grace and truth came through him. That means that his grace and his truth is the absolute grace and the absolute truth. His grace is truth. The fact that he loves you, that is truth. That is reality. That's the only reality you ever need to know. That God is gracious. He loves us. That's truth. That's reality. That's the DNA of, of reality. Not making money, not having pleasure, not you know, becoming a powerful person, not even building a beautiful family and a beautiful marriage. Those are like side benefits. The main truth of the universe is that the Logos is gracious. And that's what's true. That is the truth. And everything else then falls in line with that. Everything else in our life needs to fall in line with that truth. Otherwise, you're just building your life on something that's going to pass away. Like these video games. Or like your job. Or even like your family. Again, those are good things. I'm not saying those are bad things. But those will pass away. And one thing will remain, his grace and his truth through Jesus Christ, the Logos. I hope you're, you're starting to, like, not just hear, but, like, feel it here, right? John 1, my God, this is amazing.
So I'm going to go into now some just maybe three applications. I mean, there's so many implications from this, right? So many that from implications from this fact that Jesus is reality. He determines, he defines reality. But here's uh, just three. And as I present these three to you, what I want you to do is, like we talked about earlier, you have your, your perceived reality, you have real reality, right? So when I, uh, when I go through the, these three things, what I would like for you to do is imagine that you have like these uh, two sets of glasses. One, sets of gla- one set of glasses is your perceived reality, right? And then the other set of glasses is God's reality, the logos reality, okay? Sometimes they can see the same thing, sometimes they are not. As 2019 approaches, maybe you're worrying about your future. Anybody here worry about your finances? Anybody here worry about your job security? Yeah, right? Anybody here worry about being single? And like maybe being single longer than you'd like? Anybody here worried about being married, like not wanting to be married and wishing you were single? (laughs) Hey, it happens. It happens. You know, we can make light of it, but it happens, sadly, right? Anybody here worried about your kids or about your health? I mean, there's so much to worry about. We're looking through our perceived reality lenses, aren't we? So much to worry about. And the, the, the problem is these perceived reality glasses, they make things look so real, right? It feels so real. I'm so lonely. And by the way, single people, you can be married and lonely. There are a lot of people who are married, but very lonely, deeply, profoundly lonely. So getting married is not the cure-all. Getting married to the right person that God wants you to marry, that will help. All right? That's the perceived reality. But what is the Logos reality? What does the word of Jesus say? Let me share with you. Um, If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke 12. It was a bit long, so I didn't want to put it on the slides. But as you think about day-to-day just living, what is it that Jesus Christ says? What does the word of God say about how to approach your day-to-day life? Uh, Here's just one thing that the Logos of God says. Uh, Luke chapter 12, um, I'll start with 16, verse 16. Jesus told them this parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store all my crops? He just had a bumper crop. He's like, oh my gosh, it's coming out of my ears. What do I do? He said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns, build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul? (laughs) That's so funny. I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. I mean, it sounds like a good common sense plan, right? You have a bumper year, you put it in savings, you know? Verse 20, this is what Jesus says. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? 
so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat, not about your body, what you will put on. Does that sound like, I mean, that, he just went right down the laundry list of like New Year's resolutions, didn't he? Now, I'm not saying be unhealthy. That's not, what, don't take, that's not what you're supposed to take away from this. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the, the ravens. They neither soar, sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet... God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They don't toil, they don't spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If God so clothes the grass like this, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And it goes on. Verse 30, for all the nations of the world seek after these things. And this is so comforting. And your father knows that you need them. Your father knows you need these things. Verse 31, Here's what Jesus says. How to approach your day-to-day life? Instead, seek the Father's kingdom, and these things will be added to you. We heard uh, a message this summer, right, where Pastor uh, Stephen uh, quoted Matthew 6.33, which is a parallel passage here in Luke. If you get the one thing, you get everything. What is that one thing? It's the Logos. It's Jesus, his gospel. The Father knows you need all of these things. Don't worry. It's not like he's oblivious. He's not like this out of touch, you know, old dad who doesn't know you need these things. He knows you need. And so Jesus says in his word, his re- the word that creates reality, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. You can guarantee that because I said it. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. That's what Jesus says. All right? The author of reality told us how reality works. And so let's be wise and let's understand what he says and believe it. Amen? Number two, in the face of growing hostility uh, towards Christian views, maybe you worry about identifying yourself as a Christian because you fear kind of the backlash that you'll get at work, right? Or maybe among your friends. You know, religion ever come up among your friends and they're like, I'm an atheist. Like, how could you ever believe in God? People who believe in God are so stupid. And we're like, as Christians, can we change the topic, please? (laughs) Right? Isn't it ironic that there's this movement called tolerance where people have supposedly become more tolerant of other people's views um, and people are saying that there's been progress made but actually there's been growing intolerance um, of anyone who associates with Christ. It's very ironic, isn't it? 
That's the perceived reality. In this case, the perceived reality and logos reality are somewhat similar. Jesus, uh, let me read from John 16. Well, actually, let me go. Um, this is a church in Tel Nazari, Syria. You might remember a few years ago when um, ISIS was kind of like, uh, you know, near its peak of power, and they were just going around, and one of their main, you know, uh, objectives was to destroy churches and to uh, persecute, even kill um, people who believe in Jesus Christ. Um, Sargon Sleo, uh, age 51, he's a farmer who lived in this village where he, he worshipped at this church. Um, he says, I was born and raised here in Tel Nazri. I'm still here and I'm staying. Before the fighting, the village was home to nearly 1,000 people. Um, but then uh, the terrorists came, kidnapped uh, many of us, and upon the release, they never returned for fear of their lives. So we don't hear too much about this kind of stuff from the media, but it's, it happens. Here's what Jesus, the Logos of God, says about this. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home. You will leave me alone, yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. This is just one of like dozens of passages in the Bible where Jesus literally guarantees you will be persecuted. He says, for my name's sake, you will be persecuted. He doesn't say you might. He says you will. And here's the encouragement. But take heart, even through this tribulation, the perceived reality of like, I'm going to die. I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to lose my friends. I'm going to lose respect among the people that I move, you know, in, in these circles. But take heart, I have overcome the world. The Logos reality says, yes, you will be persecuted, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Makes sense, because he made the world. <laughs> Why is it such a stretch of the imagination to think that the one who made the world has overcome the world? Amen? In your workplace, in your neighborhood, you will face persecution. And the encouragement, and you will face persecution because, you know, you may face persecution because you're just a rude person <laughs> or a bad driver. That's something else. When you face persecution because you face persecution because you follow Christ, Jesus says, "Take heart, because I have already overcome. You don't need to fear." Amen. I have already conquered death. Jesus says, "The reality is you have victory." So, in spite of the perceived reality, Jesus has overcome the world, and that's what's real. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great. That's what Jesus says in Matthew 5. Last thing for today. What else does the Logos of God say? 
that I want to cover today. There's so many other things, but today. Well, here at Revive, we have just completed a Christmas sermon series where we talked about how Christmas is for the broken, it's for the poor, it's for the nobodies of the world, right? And before we start feeling, you know, sorry for those people, empathy for those people, which, you know, that's not a bad thing, I first want to invite you to recognize before God that you and I are just as broken. You and I are just as dark. You and I are just as lost. You and I are just as poor in the eyes of God. And so when we think about, oh, how sad for those people, that's how God sees you. How sad for you that you're so lost, that you're so stubborn, that you're so poor, that you're so dark. And so as I'm listening to the sermon series about who Christmas is for, I kept, all I could keep thinking was, I'm so blessed that Jesus has me. I'm so blessed that Jesus has me. This poor, broken, wretched, dark soul. I'm a pretty dark guy. I don't know if you know this, but... I'm a pretty dark guy. And left to my own devices, I can sink pretty deep. Thank you, Jesus, for having me. Jesus has me. If there's anyone here today, or maybe you're, I don't know if you have this recorded on video or audio or whatever, but anyone here who's listening, maybe you've reached the end of your rope, Maybe you've reached the end of yourself. Maybe you realized that the world is constantly over-promising and under-delivering. If there's anyone who's lonely, if there's anyone who believes that, who thinks that you're worthless and you're not worth living, I want you to meet someone who will change everything, including, most importantly, your heart. He is the Logos. And the Logos of God has a name, and his name is Jesus. Here's what my Jesus who has me, here's what he says. And he says this to you with his Logos word. This is his prayer. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Stay in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will stay in my love. You will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you. My joy, the joy of the Logos of God, be in you, and your joy may be full. Your joy may be, you want your joy to be full? Cling to Jesus. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, 
that someone laid down his life for his friends. You, sir, you, ma'am, are my friends. Can you believe that? The Lagos of the universe is calling you his friend, his chingu, his amigo, his compadre, his buddy, his pal, his companion. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, I chose you. Jesus chose you. He appointed you. For what? So that you now, who were once broken and barren and dark, now you can go and you can bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask your Father in my name, Jesus says, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Do you feel, do you hear his heart of love for you? He wants the best for you. And this is how, what he says, how to embrace that. Love one another as I have loved you. That is the logos of God speaking. And everything else is secondary. Nothing else matters. Started this sermon today about talking about video games. You know, um, there are people who spend lots of money buying magazines that tell you little tips on how to succeed in these video, video games? <laughs> well, here you have the very logos of God. The logos of God that tells you everything that you need to know about what really matters. Right here. Hundreds of millions of people invest their time, money, emotions, energy into video games that are one day going to pass away. You might think that since you don't play video games, this doesn't apply to you. I don't play video games. My son does. I wish he played less, right? This doesn't apply to me. But what God is telling you in John 1 and Luke 12 is if you're spending your life without really examining and living in the logos of God, then you are kind of living in a video game world because everything is going to pass away. All the things that you're investing your life into will pass away. And the only thing that's going to remain is what the logos of God says will remain. Don't make the mistake of thinking that, oh, I don't play video games. I don't invest my life in it. But the flip side is, what are you investing your life in? What are you building your life with? In Minecraft, the character goes around putting digital bricks all over the place. And that's how he makes those things. My picture is us who are loved by Jesus going around, building our lives, our relationships, our careers, our gospel ministries. You don't have to be a pastor to have a gospel ministry. And you're building with the logos of God, building something beautiful, his kingdom. So in love, I hope that we can all help point each other to this ultimate reality and build, join the ultimate 
you know, coder, Jesus, and really just build something beautiful, joining him in your life and for our world. Let's spend some time praying.